So yeah, I have the privilege today of continuing our series, Kingdom Roots, Authentic Christians. The heart of the series is, as the strap line for the series says, knowing Christ better to follow him more closely. This series is about encountering Jesus through his word and by the spirit, uh, being transformed into the likeness of Christ. We do that as we immerse ourselves in the scriptures and in the biblical story. The story of all stories, which helps us see things, the people, the people and the world, as God sees things. With the aim of living out Christ-likeness in our workplaces, in our home lives and with our neighbours. It's God's spirit, his empowering presence, which enables us to live uh, like Christ. And so my theme or topic for today, for this afternoon, is around judging. And I've entitled my talk, To Love and Not Condemn. If you've read the Bible or engaged with it to any length, you'll most likely have come across the idea of judgment. We are, for example, uh, told that God will judge all things and and that people and nations are often subject to his judgment. Whilst important and interesting to look at this aspect, keeping the overarching series in mind, I want to focus today on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus around the area of judgment. Specifically, we'll be looking at one example of how Jesus treats someone who who is living in sin. In 2013, the Barna Group, a research group in the USA who specialise in faith and culture, undertook a nationwide study of self-identified Christians. The goal, using a number of questions around behaviour and attitudes, was to determine whether Christians exhibit the actions, attitudes, beliefs and behaviours of Jesus or of the Pharisees when interacting with others. The Pharisees, of course, exhibit behaviours such as self-righteousness, hypocrisy and judgmentalism. They conducted their study by asking participants to rate their agreement to statements around various actions and attitudes. Having conducted their study, the results showed the following. Just 14% of self-identifying Christians demonstrated the actions and attitudes the research group found consistent with representing Christ-likeness. Whilst 51% were found to demonstrate the actions and attitudes most consistent with the Pharisees. Yeah, further, 14% reflected the actions of Christ, but the attitudes of the Pharisees. And 21% presented the attitudes of Christ, but the actions associated with the Pharisees. And I read those, do my best not to make any judgments on that. Whilst the research was conducted in the USA and several years ago, I think this research should humble us and encourage us to keep coming back to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If anywhere near 51% of self-identifying Christians act and behave in ways more consistent with the Pharisees than the person of Jesus, then church, we have some work to do. And I would count myself as one with more work to do. I'm pretty sure that all of us know what it's like to feel judged. And if we're honest, we know at times that we judge others. 
I know there are times when I can be too quick to judge, too quick to take an opinion on someone's behaviour, their actions or life choices. I also know what it's like to feel judged and I'm sure everyone listening and watching will have some experience of this. Whether it's to do with our parenting styles, our choice of career, our relationships, our other lifestyle choices or even our clothing. We can at times all feel like we're being judged. Maybe you have something specific in mind right now that you feel judged by others on. It's important to say that I don't think this means we should never discern or make decisions on what we see as healthy or unhealthy choices. And specifically what it means it looks like to be, uh, be like Christ in our lives. The things we do and the decisions we make are important. The question for today though is how do we see Jesus treating others and what can we learn? So let's turn to the Gospel of John, a most likely a familiar story to some of us, the woman caught in adultery. We're in John chapter 8 verses 2 to 11 and as I read it to us, I'd like to suggest that we immerse ourselves in this story. Maybe you want to close your eyes and just listen and imagine yourself in this scene. Perhaps ask yourself, who do I relate with? Where am I in the story? Or maybe, who are you in the story? So again, it's John chapter 8, verses 2 to 11. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered round him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law, the Pharisees, and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Then they kept on questioning him. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The, the older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. It's a powerful story, isn't it? Who did you relate to uh, in this story? You know, who were you in this story? I don't know if Sophie, you've got any kind of thoughts on that or anyone you particularly related to in that story? I think I'm one of the crowd, I'm afraid. <laughs> I, think, I think I'm probably one of the crowd too, yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and um, yeah, um, it's easy to judge yeah. and... 
I think as it's human nature, we start to, when mm. we see somebody, we start to form opinions about mm. them, uh, rightly or wrongly. So yeah. I think it's important to take a step back, stop and think about yeah. the judgments we make on people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So maybe you can relate to the crowd just as Sophie can. And actually, so, so can I. One of the Pharisees or teachers of the law. You really care about right and wrong. You're sensitive to the injustice you see around you. You want justice. You want to put things right. I'm pretty sure we've all been part of a crowd like this before. We see things which don't fit our value system or morals and we make a judgment. We want justice. Most likely and more often than not, I expect the judgment may be internal, but at times that spills out and impacts others. Perhaps you were the woman in this story. We don't know a lot about this woman other than, the, other than that she was caught in the act of adultery. But you don't have to be involved in adultery to stand where she stands. Maybe there's stuff in your life you feel ashamed of. Past wrongs, life choices, struggles or hurts. Surely we can all think of an occasion or at least recall the emotions where we felt uh, condemned and judged by others. Maybe you feel that right now. Maybe you're not necessarily, uh, necessarily being judged right now, but you're scared of what people might say or think about you. Maybe you think you would be judged by others. Or maybe you actually find yourself in a similar place to that of Jesus, and <laughs> well done if you do. Uh, despite this woman's sin, you see a bigger picture where all have sinned and are moved by compassion and love for this image-bearing human being. Again, I'm pretty sure we've all found ourselves moved with compassion and love like Jesus. But what's happening in this story? The scene starts at dawn with Jesus appearing again in the temple courts where people gathered around him to hear him teach. And while doing so, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery and they make her stand before the group. Can you imagine how humiliating for her? Here they are, putting her on show. And the text doesn't actually suggest anything other than that she was guilty of what they were accusing her of. In fact, it says she was caught in the act of adultery. Yet the motivation of the Pharisees and teachers of the law isn't simply justice. Their motivation in bringing her before Jesus and asking whether she would be asking uh, for her to be stoned as the law of Moses commands is to trap Jesus and to build a case against him. After all, the one with whom she committed adultery is nowhere to be seen. And yet the punishment for such an act would be due to him also. Their motivations are not honest. Ignoring their question and clearly refusing to pass judgment on the woman, Jesus bends down and writes something in the sand or the dust with his fingers. We don't know what he writes. There are various speculations and ideas uh, from writing a commandment or writing the sins of the crowd. But essentially, we do not know. As questions keep coming at Jesus, he stands up and says, Let any one of you who 
who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. As Tom Wright says in his book, uh, John for Everyone, his answer, that's Jesus, his answer when it came, though apparently risky, supposing that one of them had had the arrogance to go ahead, was devastating. When you point the finger at someone else, there are three fingers pointing back at you. He hasn't said the law of Moses was wrong, only that if we're going to get serious about it, we should all find ourselves guilty. And one by one, they get the point and go away. Those who heard began to go away, one at a time. It's a powerful scene and a powerful moment. One by one, the crowd puts down their stones and walks away until it is only Jesus left with her. And so we have the woman and Jesus. She is left with the very one who could have indeed picked up a stone and cast it upon her, and yet he does not. Instead, he says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Her response, no one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus responds. From being found in sin, being close to losing her life as punishment, she now stands free from condemnation and free from judgment. Does this therefore mean that sin and adultery in this story doesn't matter? Does it mean that Jesus is all about letting us do whatever we want because no one should be judged? Not at all. Soaked in grace and mercy, Jesus' closing words to this woman are, Go now and leave your life of sin. This act is not without consequence or penalty, but it will be Jesus who takes the consequences of her actions onto himself on the cross. There are three things then I want to draw out from this story for us. Firstly, we all fall short. Like the woman, like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, none of us is perfect. We all fall short of the life God intends for us. We all make mistakes. We all have a tarnished perspective of right and wrong. In many ways, this story is less about adultery and more about heart, motivation and hypocrisy. And of course, the character of God seen in Jesus. It's about Matthew 7, which we heard from Phil in our last series, looking at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and not paying attention to the plank in our own eyes. It's about loving, not judging and condemning, as Jesus embodies so well in this story. To those of us like myself, uh, who can easily relate, we can easily relate, relate with the crowd. We know we can be quick to judge the actions of others, especially when they seem on face value to con- contradict the teachings of the Bible. 
When we're tempted to judge, may we be reminded of our own shortcomings and of God's grace, his mercy and forgiveness towards us. Secondly, there is no condemnation. Jesus doesn't condemn and so neither should we. May we, like Jesus in this story, put down our stones and show the love and mercy of God that people created in the image of God deserve. To those of us who have ever felt like the woman, or who maybe do right now, then we're sorry, and please forgive us. May you know that Jesus doesn't condemn you. May you know the same grace and mercy and love that are available to each and every one of us. Author Preston Sprinkle in his book Embodied says this, Jesus is building an upside down kingdom where outcasts have their feet washed, the marginalised are welcomed and dehumanised people feel humanised once again. Where truth is upheld, celebrated and proclaimed, where those who fall short of that truth are loved. And I love that last line, where those who fall short of that truth are loved. It's not that truth doesn't matter, it does. But as I said in my last point, we all fall short and don't we all still want to be loved? And thirdly, we can love and not condemn. It doesn't mean condoning. Whilst our story shows that Jesus doesn't condemn, neither does he condone the actions of the woman. The story ends with the words, go now and leave your life of sin. And I recognise this is challenging. We see lots around us in society and in culture which, with a biblical worldview, looks damaging and toxic, harmful and challenging. And in many respects, that's probably true. Yet what we see in Jesus is one who doesn't condemn, but calls people to leave a life of sin and follow him as a disciple. What if we as individuals and as a church became known for our love and acceptance of people, no matter what their lifestyle choices, their situations and their past mistakes? Will it be challenging? Could we be misunderstood? Most likely, yes. Maybe I'm being misunderstood right now. But I'm reminded that Jesus called sinners. He called the imperfect. He called the ragamuffins to follow him. It wasn't a case of get yourselves sorted, then follow me. Jesus welcomed, ate with, called sinners and the impure to follow him and into the life of discipleship. Did it mean he didn't care about sin? No. Being a disciple means leaving your life of sin behind. But don't we all know that it can be a process? It takes time. And it is the spirit who brings transformation in my life and in the lives of others. And I'd rather us draw people into the church community in love and create an opportunity of walking together as disciples of Jesus 
than for them to remain outside of the church community because of a wall of judgmentalism and condemnation. So to summarise, we all fall short of God's best for our lives. Not one of us is perfect. Yet God shows us love and acceptance, not condemnation. Loving and judging doesn't mean condoning or compromising. It simply means that we recognise we all fall short. We are all in need of God's grace and mercy and that we extend that same grace and mercy to others in order that we can journey together as disciples of Jesus, being transformed into Christ's likeness by the empowering presence of God's Spirit. Jesus, give us your wisdom and grace, we pray. Spirit, empower us, help us, transform us into Christ's likeness, we ask. Amen and thank you.